There's grace in that song for people like us, for fellow strugglers. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born. And so with the Apostle Paul, Lord, we, we say that we labor as an expectant mother until Christ is formed in us. Oh, be formed in us today that we may be born to eternal life through Christ our Lord. Amen. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. God is good all the time. All my life, I have heard people say, you know, Baptist preachers preach against so many things. They preach against alcohol and drugs and gambling. And I've never heard a Baptist preacher preach a sermon on the sin of gluttony. Now, it may be part of our culture and endless casserole dishes at dinner on the grounds. But I had to confess in all my years of Hearing pastors and being a pastor, neither had I ever heard a Baptist preacher preach a sermon on gluttony. So today is the day. Now is the accepted time. Because gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. And the thing about choosing sins is we're really choosing the way we die. Because the wages of sin is death. And just to provide perspective for us, we live in a world where 11 million people who have real lives will starve to death this year. And we will increase our spending from $52 billion on food in 1980 in the United States to well over $300 billion this year. We'll eat 3,500 calories a day on average, while many in other parts of the world, eat less than 2,000 calories a day. While we pursue the next diet plan, 20% of the people in Ethiopia, 20% of the people in Sudan, and 30 to 40% of the people in Mozambique are continually hungry. So as I preach about this sin, I'm particularly concerned about how we recover from the idea that we deserve more than other people deserve. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Amos? I'm sure you were probably reading this earlier this week. If you, like me, find this as one of your favorite prophets, Amos chapter 6. And then I'm going to read from Luke chapter 19 to show you the Old Testament work of a prophet and the New Testament story of a transformed life. Let's stand together as we read God's Word, recovering from gluttony. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Calna and look at it. Go from there to Great Hamath and then go down to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. 
You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. And then in Luke chapter 19, Luke, who is so desperately concerned about the poor, that he says, blessed not only are the poor in spirit, but blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, who shows us the picture of Lazarus who begs for the crumbs from the rich man's table and finds himself ultimately in the arms of Abraham in heaven. This same Luke tells us the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Luke 19.3 He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You may be seated. Amos probably wouldn't have been a good dinner companion. Not the sort of person to complete your guest list. He had a way of being plain spoken. And if you understand his story, read it sometime this week. It won't take you long to discover Amos never went to seminary. He wasn't a trained preacher. He was busy picking sycamore figs and caring for his flocks as a shepherd when God tapped him on his shoulder down in the southern part of Judah and said, I want you to go north and I want you to preach. And I want you to say to the people in the northern kingdom why I am so upset with them. And Amos arrived and the first part of his sermon probably met with rave reviews. Because he started out, if you read in the book of Amos, he started out preaching against the sins of all of Israel's enemies. So he starts out talking about the sins of the people in Damascus and everybody is saying amen. And he moves on to Tyre up on the coast and he, he thinks about uh, the different places like Ammon and Moab and finally he even starts talking about his own southern kingdom's sins. For three sins of Judah. No, for four. It's more than that. And he starts talking about it. And the people of the northern kingdom said, Isn't this great? Amos is mad at all the same people that we're mad at. 
this guy can really, really preach because the measure of a preacher is that he dislikes all the same people that we dislike. And we will know that we have successfully remade God in our own image when God surprisingly and amazingly despises all the people that we despise. But he went from preaching to meddling. When in chapter 2, verse 6, he said, For three sins of Israel, you can go on home now, preacher. Land the plane. Shut it down. For four sins, I will not hold back my wrath, he says. Why? Because you have deprived and trampled the poor. Amos was not so much worried about the fact that the people in Israel had so much It was that they had so much while others had so little. That their plates were full when other people didn't even have plates at all because they had sold them into slavery to get the wealth that they possessed. And Amos didn't stop preaching even when they smacked him, even when they told him to quit, even when they sent him home and said, go build yourself a congregation down in the south. He was as welcome as a Texan preaching on the streets of New York City with a drawl. And they said, go home. And he said, I'm not even a preacher. God tapped me on the shoulder. And I have to say what he told me to say. So I'm sure at some point he went back to his sycamore fig trees. And later, many years later, 800 years later, we find, we find another man, a tax collector for the Roman government, climbing up in a sycamore fig tree because the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus calls him down and changes his life. And even when Jesus says, I must go to your house today, note well that Jesus' critics say, can you believe he's going to the house of a sinner, a tax collector for the Roman government? This is the height of sin. And this is the height of rebellion. And Jesus hangs out with people like that. And they condemned Jesus for going. But when Zacchaeus found himself in the presence of Jesus... Without Jesus saying a word about money, all that Zacchaeus could see in the presence of Jesus was how luxuriant was his life. And he said, here and now I give half of what I own to the poor. This was the transformation that caused Jesus to say, salvation has come to this house today. I know it's a fine line. I know they called Jesus a glutton and a wine bibber. I know that Jesus said in John chapter 10, I came that you might have life and have it overflowing abundantly. For heaven's sake, Jesus went to the wedding and turned the water into wine. Jesus loved life. And I don't want you to hear me saying today that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be miserably unhappy, and you should be. That is Pharisaism. Jesus had trouble with people who so limited life. But I also want you to know that the same Jesus who enjoyed the party said on his way to Jerusalem, I don't own a place to lay my head. The foxes 
have their beds, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head because Jesus was not about acquiring and accumulating and storing up treasures here on earth. He was about giving his life away. And God has, as Jim Wallace says, no problem with prosperity. God's not bothered by wealth. He just insists that it must be shared. So we see in Amos's preaching that Amos takes them to task for their sin. I can't even read parts. I mean, I could, but I won't read parts of Amos where he, he really is tough on them. And if you look at it, it's not that they have stuff. It's not even that they love stuff. It's that they love their stuff so much that they don't love people. It's that they're so concerned about the acquisition and accumulation of stuff that they're dying of affluenza and they don't even recognize that they've caught the virus. And so they have the very finest, he says, did you see it there, of furniture. Their beds and couches are inlaid with ivory. You know, commentators back for 19 centuries thought Amos was just exaggerating here. It wasn't until 1918 that they did an excavation of the city of Samaria that they found. What did they find? Ivory inlaid furniture with big ivory plaques inlaid with gold and precious jewels. They lived very opulently. But I want you to see when he's condemning that in verse 4 and he's talking about them eating the, the choice foods in verse 5 and in, in Amos chapter 6, verse 6, when he says you drink your wine from the bowl full. It's not the quantity of stuff, but it's the end of it when he says, but you don't even grieve over the ruin of Joseph. That bothers me. Here is the sin of gluttony. When you and I are so convinced that we deserve to have more stuff than other people, that we are absolutely comfortable having lives that are overflowing with abundance while there are people around us who have nothing and we say, it's right for me to have this because I deserve it, because I was born into a place and time, a family, an opportunity to work where I could accumulate large amounts of stuff when in fact we live in a world where the people of Sudan are simply trying to live and we could be a voice for those who have no voice in a world that sometimes doesn't seem to care. That would be the sin of gluttony to think we deserve more than somebody else just because we are who we are and to forget that everything we have comes By grace, from God's gracious hand. I see here that they had incredible furniture. And I know we live in a world where all the furniture we could ever need is right at our fingers. It's, It's right here in our city at various stores. We can acquire it. We can accumulate. We can bring it home tonight. We don't have to wait till tomorrow for anything We can have the best. Why sleep on an old mattress when you can have a newer mattress? Why why wait for the big TV when you can have it now? And he just says about this accumulation of stuff that you've forgotten that other people don't have enough just even to survive. It's interesting that in our lifetime, see, I I think when I was a kid, they didn't have storage units. They may have. I don't remember them, though, if they did. And I, I do know this, that now we have two billion square feet 
4,000 entrepreneurs in our country own 2 billion square feet of storage space so that we whose houses have grown on average from 1,600 square feet per average home to 2,400 square feet per average home in the last 30 years or so, we have bigger houses than we used to have, smaller families than we used to have, and we still need 2 billion square feet of space to rent out, to store our stuff. I would think Amos would not be a good person to invite to go help us put something in the storage unit. And he says they ate the best of foods. And here we live in the city where our great condolence in the midst of the humidity and the mosquitoes is we have very good places to eat. And we, we, Melanie and I, love to go to those good places to eat. And we enjoy great food. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we are also offering food to those who have none. Like in our Montrose Street Reach ministry, like the Star of Hope ministry, where over 200 volunteered last year and our choir has gone to sing at Christmas time and one of our people has offered a meal to those and we've served that meal. Why? Because there is such enormous need in helping these people get out of their addictions. He says they don't just drink wine. It's not just that they drink wine. But he says, do you see it there in verse 6? By the bowl full. It's not enough to have a cup when you can have a bowl of wine, he says. I, I read this week that in 1955, the largest drink that McDonald's sold, seven fluid ounces. That's hardly a swallow, isn't it? Now, you can buy a Hugo or a Hugo, however you pronounce it. 42 fluid ounces. 40 ounces of ice, 2 ounces of liquid. You can buy it. It won't quench your thirst, but go ahead and buy it. You can chew the ice. I don't know. We, we live in this, you know, I went yesterday, as I often do, to my favorite Starbucks and bought not the, not the tall, not the grande, but the venti green tea frappuccino. They laughed at me when I first said, can I get it? No fat. It, it looks like a guacamole shake. I mean, it just, it, people look at it and say, how can you drink that? I don't look at it. I just swallow it. I mean, and I went there yesterday and they gave me the venti for, I don't know, $50 or whatever I paid for it. And then they said, wait, as I was leaving, they said, wait, come back and get your receipt. We'll stamp it for you. And if you come back after two o'clock, we'll give you a middle size one for only $2. I was like, woohoo. And then I thought, I'm preaching on gluttony this weekend. <laughs> I still have it. It's no good anymore. But I'm feeling pretty good about this. I, I preached on this last night. And wouldn't you know it, it was the second Saturday night. They had dinner on the grounds. They were serving barbecue. And Melanie said as she was leaving, I'm going to be with the kids. Just bring me a plate. So I was walking through the line after preaching a sermon on gluttony with two plates. I was feeling a little self-conscious. I wasn't looking back to see if anybody was looking. And I filled them up. And then when I got to the dessert line... I didn't have enough hands, but they did have brownies. And I know Melanie loves brownies, but so do the kids. And so I got three brownies, one for each. And then I, I got a little piece of apple pie for me. And I sort of stacked them on my two plates. And I turned around and every eye was looking at me. I was absolutely losing credibility with the whole congregation. I said, this is not all for me. And they're all going, hmm. Yeah, Right. Right. No, really. I don't eat three brownies. I'm not going to eat any. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, no, I, I, you who, who have eaten with me know I love to eat. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the abundance of what God has given to us. Unless somehow in that we fail, he says in verse 6, to grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Who is Joseph? 
Oh, Joseph was the brother who was sold unfairly into slavery. And while his brothers went home and ate their meals with their dad and told their dad that their brother had been killed, Joseph was sold into slavery. And even though they forgot him, God could not forget him. We haven't forgotten Joseph, have we? We haven't forgotten Joseph, the rich man in in Luke chapter 16, forgot Lazarus who was there at his doorstep waiting for crumbs from his table. You might think that he never even noticed Lazarus, but we notice later in the story when the rich man is in hell, not because he's wealthy, and the poor man is in heaven, not because he's poor, but because he put his trust in God, that the rich man looks up at heaven and says, Send Lazarus. He knows his name. He knows his need. But he didn't respond to his need. Somebody has said we have empathy deficit disorder, EDD. We just don't feel what other people are feeling. So we changed the subject. Well, they probably brought it on themselves. Or let's talk about something else. This is distasteful over supper to talk about these kinds of suffering. And yet the suffering is real. And Abraham Lincoln said, I feel sorry for the person who can't feel the whip when it is laid on the back of another man. And Malcolm Muggeridge said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Could we pray that prayer? Because our concern for self and narcissism will enable our gluttony. But compassion for the last, the lost, and the least will empower us to become generous and to give our lives Away. It's Jesus explaining in Luke chapter 14 that when you throw a dinner party, don't invite the people who can repay you by inviting them, inviting you to their dinner parties, but instead invite, he says, the poor and the blind and the lame and the sick. Invite the people who will never be able to pay you back because then God will repay you. And Jesus said, don't store up treasures on this earth for yourself because moth and rust can take them away. And while our stuff is in storage, we don't even remember why we put it there or what it was. But Jesus said, don't store up stuff. In other words, live simply. Isn't that what happens to Zacchaeus? Isn't he the trophy uh, example of this? Isn't he the poster child of simple living? Just having Jesus in his house makes him say, I've got too much stuff. I need to give half of it away to the poor. What was it about Jesus who was clearly enjoying the meal that made him think, I have too much stuff. Well, Jesus himself, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, left the opulence and the majesty and the grandeur of heaven and divested himself of his glory to take the form of a servant to live among us. And maybe just having Jesus around us could be convicting about the way that we view stuff. Could we live simply? My nephew, uh, James Casey Kelleher, uh, was killed by a drunk driver last Sunday morning at 4.30 in the morning. He had not been drinking, but the friend who was with him had been. And so he wanted to make sure she made it home safely. So he drove her car home and a drunk driver crossed the median on 288 and killed both of them instantly. And we are not mad at the driver and uh, we pray for him and for his family and by the way for those who drink wine by the bowlful please don't drive after you drink 
But I thought about James this week. What an interesting life. Some would say a tragic life. Uh, His mom died the night that he was born. She had an aneurysm. Um, They were losing her. They knew they would lose the baby. Put her on life support. Delivered James into the world. Broke his shoulder getting him out because they were in such a hurry. And little James came into a world where he didn't have a mom, but he did have a dad who loved him. But his dad was troubled and struggled and and married a, a wonderful dentist in Dallas. And they were raising the boy together. But the father ended up in, in prison and, and uh, contracted an illness and died a year after he got out of prison. And the stepmother died a few years after that. And my older brother took James, who was actually his nephew, into his home. He said he came into our home as a nephew and he left our home as a son. And for six or seven years, they raised him in their own home. James was so angry when he was young. He, he would just flail his fists at my brother. And my brother would put his arms around him and, and just wrap him up so that he couldn't hit and hold him and say, nothing you can do will make us stop loving you. A a picture of the love of God to this young man who came to understand Christ's love and became a follower of Christ and had an awakening in his life and volunteered at the church. He always had kind of his own audacity. We never knew exactly what color his hair was going to be when we saw him. Uh, He he had a lot of uh, issues in his life, but he lived a very simple life. Interestingly, when he was 18, he inherited just a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. And a lot of kids would have just gotten lost in that. But instead, he went to my brother and said, you invest it for me. I'll live off the interest. And uh, the day last Sunday when he went home to be with the Lord and we buried him on Friday beside his mother who had never held him in this life. But I assume last Sunday morning, because both were believers in Christ, she held her son in her arms for the very first time. But this young man had... Hundreds of thousands of dollars, over seven figures of money, and did not own a car. I just want to say to you, not everybody who has money spends all of it on themselves all the time. He was still wearing the clothes that my brother bought him when he graduated from high school. Uh, He (laughs) had a bad situation with his apartment, so he asked a friend, can I spend the night on your couch about two months ago? And uh, uh, for the last two months, that's where he'd been sleeping, on a couch in his friend's house. He lived simply. And we live in a world that says, I have to have the the biggest things right now. A friend of mine was offered a big 40-inch flat screen TV a couple weeks ago and said no. Shocked the person who offered it, offered it to another person, the person accepted it, and the person said, why didn't you take it? He said, because I already have a TV. You have a TV like that? No, but what do I need two TVs for? Could we live simply? Could we hear the old shaker hymn that says, "'Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free, tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round rights. Could we live beneath our means? I've always thought the next car I have has to be better than the last car I have. But I'm rethinking that. I've always thought life was about more. When maybe Jesus showed us by coming down to this earth, it's about giving our lives away. Why would you and I live simply so that we can give generously so that others can simply 
live. Invite the people who can never repay you, Jesus said. And I confess to you, I don't spend much time around people like that. But I want to. I want to be a volunteer, to share with people at Star of Hope, to give my life away. I'm not saying give money to every person under the bridge. A policeman in our congregation reminded me last night, you give them money and you're giving them crack cocaine. Don't do that. But there are ways that we can be involved in giving away. Like a young couple up in Michigan who were getting married and they decided instead of having a big reception, they calculated the amount of money and said, instead of throwing a reception for ourselves, we'll buy 5,000 pounds of food and we'll invite our friends at the wedding to join us at a shelter after the wedding and we will give that food away to people who actually need food. I'm asking us to live counterculture. Because there are 2,500 verses in the Bible about you and I taking care of the poor. That is obviously God's plan A. If you ask me what plan B is, I honestly don't know. So I guess we'll just have to stick with plan A. And God has no problem with prosperity. He just insists that it must be shared. So that justice, Amos said, will roll down like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And Cornell West says, justice is just love going public. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that your love would empower us to go public today. Deliver us from our gluttony, from our idea that we should be about ourselves instead of about others. And set us free from our sin, that we may live for you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.